You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at This.Labs. Today, we're very excited to sit down and talk about design systems with Kathleen McMahon. Kathleen is a senior design systems engineer at Northwestern Mutual and color module specification editor for the W3C Design Tokens Community Group. That's a mouthful. Kathleen, how are you doing today? I am doing well. It is a beautiful day. And um, Otis has, of course, decided to join us the minute he heard the webcast open. Here he is. So. That's right. Yeah, I was just saying to you before we started recording that I'm getting back from doing some traveling. And so my cat has been telling me all of the stories that have been happening. So this might be a bring your pet to work day edition of the Modern Web Podcast, everybody. So if you are a cat lover, strap yourselves in. This is going to be a good one. Um, you know, Kathleen, I'm excited to talk to you. I have been watching all of your talks recently, and honestly, I love to talk about design systems. I have, I have been on teams where they have made such a big difference, and so I've, I've been excited to talk to somebody about them in more depth and to, and to continue learning about them. So for, for people that are coming to this at all stages of, of kind of their learning journey as this pertains to how can we understand for the purposes of this conversation what a design system is different from a design or different from a component library? Like, what is a design system? Well, there are many opinions on that. <laughs> so many opinions. Um, it, it is a it's a collection of patterns and efficiencies that allow you to streamline your workflow in your design and engineering to make your design and developer experience better is the most succinct way to put it. So some design systems could be a set of um, design patterns. Some mm -hmm. could include a component library only. Some could include um, a CSS framework. Some could include all of the above. It, you know, it depends on what you need to offer for your company or for your product. It you know it it is very. amorphous in my opinion that's true i guess it's, it's kind of what you need out of it yeah i mean like I, you know when i thought of design systems i was like oh a fancy one one that says this is what our buttons look like and these are our fonts and these are our colors but um you had a really good slide in one of your talks which kind of surprised me but maybe it shouldn't have that like brand could be part of the design system or like voice and tone and and like content strategy and principles and things of that nature like it really can stretch i guess to the sophistication and the maturity of just your design capability in your in your org so like you said it could be very on a small team a less mature team it could be very narrowly the components and the styles that you reuse as you keep building things but i guess it can expand on larger teams and more mature teams to be 
ev I mean, everything to some extent. Yeah, that's correct. And that, that graphic is by Nate Baldwin, in fact. And someone recently was sharing out that graphic in a tweet saying, hey, I, you know, this is graphic that was in my talk. And I was like, wait, no, that graphic was by Nate Baldwin. And when Nate responded, he's like, yeah, and that graphic's really old. And here's the latest graphic, which I need to make sure <laughs> that I put in my talk because their latest graphic is amazing. It's even better than the one that they made earlier than this because it is even more broader in scope than the previous graphic. That's really cool. I mean, that's yeah. and, and also amazing because my brain can't even expand to figure out what the additional scope and context would be. So I'm going to have to look up this graphic and, and find it. Uh, I bookmarked it, but I'm not going to I'm not going to context switch right now because we are in a time <laughs> limit. I'm like, wait, remind remind me and like either reach out to me on either like Blue Sky Mastodon or Twitter or Instagram or somewhere. And I'll be like, here you go. Here there it we is. go. <laughs> um, so one of the questions I had is is how rigid should sort of a design system be? And what I mean by that is how much flexibility do individual developers or individual designers have to kind of innovate in the types of um, components and experiences they're trying to build and how much are they constrained? I mean, we can talk about why they should or shouldn't feel constrained, but I know like one of the things that I've talked to some designers and some engineers about is they're like, oh, I, how am I going to make anything interesting if I have to do it with these blocks? Like how, you know, I want to make my own, you know, stamp on this. So like how rigid should design systems be in your opinion? Ooh, <laughs> well, <laughs> um, <laughs> worms can open. Um, <laughs> if it's too controversial of a topic, I don't yeah. have to put you on the spot. Oh. You could just say oh, what the ooh. two camps are, maybe. <laughs> well, there are camps on that, and this is this can be spicy takes, and I am really good at spicy takes. Um, but um, there are ways, uh, there are ways to solve that problem because hmm. um, if you want to promote your brand, it is very important to make sure that your design system components, for example can um, support your brand and allow your teams to, and if we're gonna talk about the button, because you know usually people will say, oh, if we're gonna make star design system, we're gonna you know, start with a button, which is not necessarily you know, the right way to go, but mm -hmm. that's usually the most common answer sure. you will hear versus you know, the most you know, common component that the team uses should be the first component you make in a design system. Like if you go to a demo workshop, you'll hear that. So, which is used, you know, that's the right answer versus just throwing a button. Um, however, um, getting back to our topic here, what you should do with your components is find a way to make sure that you are supporting the, you know, like it, it, in terms of design, supporting your you know your color typography and anything that your you know your design org wants to promote you know throughout your if we're talking about like blending 
design engineering into like one sort of API. We're trying to start, you know, blend something that will optimize for engineering and also making something for in a Figma component for, you know, designers to be able to use in a way that optimizes uh, a sense of consistency, make it in a way that it's more of a grab and go, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. you know, experience. So designers is like, oh, this is the button we should be using. This is the, this is the size variance we should be using, the color variance we should be using, right? And this is, this is the, a great way to promote, it's not rigidity, it is, this is the way to promote consistency across scale, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it is important. Um, you can, um, I mean, in Figma, you can way you can like you could you could like detach a component, you know, and like recolor it, and that it can cause problems, right? Um, in in a component, you can make a component and like support the styling to allow it the flexibility to add in another class, like a CSS class, to allow hmm. some overrides if you need it for those cases where you need to override something, where it will still promote your base styles, and then if there are those edge cases where you need to have an override, you still have that flexibility. So by default, you are following your company's brands. But then when you have an edge case, when maybe you're starting to roll out a new brand and you don't have Mm -hmm. enough edge cases to have a whole full other brand, but you only maybe have two or three components that are starting to emerge into a new like sub brand within, you know, your product. This is the way you could start scaling your component set you know, okay. smartly without having to break things. This is the way you can like scale everything up, right? Um, it, it can be get thorny, it can get wild um, pretty quickly. It takes a lot of forethought of like, how do you build that API? How do you build that API to scale? Um, there's also, you start to have to start considering, which I've learned a lot working at Northwestern Mutual of when you start having, um, component libraries that have been around for a while and they've been used by a lot of different a lot of different teams over the years like what's your deprecation strategy like <laughs> if, if teams have been using this over the years like what's your strategy for if you're adding a new feature how are you going to do this without making a breaking change how are you going to do this in the code you know like you also have to think about your in the code the breaking change strategy of adding a new feature setting the alert setting you know deprecation notices in your code so you can roll something out without, you know, making your developers nervous that something's going to break Yeah, their, their apps. And in design, you can start thinking about like phasing in new changes in like releasing a new, you know, like Figma library, like a versioning of a Figma library. That way you can do it that way versus, you know, just updating something in a component, you know, so there's, mm-hmm. there's different strategies in code versus design. There's, you know, different ways you can start phasing things without getting people nervous and in trouble and then getting the stakeholders upset about, you know, things breaking and causing issues. And then, you know, yeah, then I'm not, not going to have my brain start talking, thinking about like design systems and, you know, the value of design systems and the teams. And then, you know, I'm going to stop talking. About, well, you know, yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I issues about the value of design systems and why they're great, and 
Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. one of the reasons why I thought that, that I think that they've been great on the teams that I've worked on, um, and in a microcosm, it's sometimes some of the reasons why I, I trumpet some of the, uh, the values and virtues of sort of utility-based CSS frameworks is that, um, you know, I, I did talk to a designer that was like, I don't like being constrained in my designs. I want to have the full infinite vibrancy of CSS and all of the numerical numbers and values and things that can go into these different properties to create the correct effect that I want on every page. And, uh, you know, the developers are like, well, I can build that with all the hand-worn CSS. And so the way that I sold to developers was, hey, you know, I'm going, you're going to have a situation now where every time a designer comes to you with a new uh, update, you don't have to, uh, um, you know, you don't have to um, suddenly figure out where all these changes were across all these files and all the different classes and the ways that you named these things. And the way that I sold it to the designer was I said, hey, listen, you're not going to have a developer asking you whether this spacing was actually 14 pixels or, you know, one and a half rem or you know what whatever it is because you're going to be able to take a visual design and say well what blocks do i have and what's the closest block to the design that was produced mm -hmm. i said if anything you'll be able to create designs faster because they won't have to come to the developers being pixel perfect in that way and once they got that it was like actually more being in the system was more freeing to everybody yes. felt more free than constrained and that was where I think one of the advantages, I don't know if, if, if you would agree with this. That, that is exactly, that is exactly the, the point of a lot of, you know, design system when a lot of people get um, nervous about a design system, like um, replacing designers or replacing developers. It's, it's not, it's what it's doing is it's solving some of the problems that designers or developers face where it's like, oh, we have to, you know, create this repeatable pattern over and over and over again. It's like, well, Yes, but we can create that repeatable pattern, you know, for you and allow you to use it to, you know, like reskin it or do these other things. But then you can use that repeatable, repeatable pattern to solve the other problems that you need to solve instead. That way you mm -hmm. can use your creativity to solve the other things rather than always having to recreate this thing, recreate this one pattern in Figma or in code. Every single time you can start solving these other harder problems. So you That's can be created everything else. And once you, you know, start thinking, oh, I don't have to recreate a button all the time. I don't have to recreate <laughs> a card all the time. That's the other I thing, right? <laughs> and be, have my freedom to do all this other stuff. Oh, oh, cool. And then there, then there could be times when you're like, oh, there is maybe there's a new, like a new component that we haven't thought of. And then you can start proposing new components that maybe that will make it into the core layout, or maybe you'll have expansion packs for components or expansion packs for designs. And you could start having different expansion libraries, you know? So it doesn't say like, this is the one and done library. Like these components, components and design systems and like even tokens and everything is always mm. a living, living organism. It's always working. It's always being maintained. It's not like this system that's there and it's just like, we're done. It's like, no, we're always maintaining the documentation, maintaining, you know, every single part of it to make sure that, you know, ideally you're looking at like even the documentation from the point of view of the people that are using it, not like, oh, well, I've built it. So I know how it works. So 
you know, like, why don't you know how to work, use it? It's like, well, (laughs) (laughs) that's not the point of view. You should be writing this. You should be, you know, this is why, you know, if, you know, ideally you have like content strategists on, you know, your team Mm. partnering Mm -hmm. with people that are actually using, you know, the system to say, this is where I got stuck. It's like, oh, well, let's write it, you know, like partner with someone who's actually using it and say, ah, if you understand that, then if you can write it from the perspective of someone who's using it, you will get a lot more people, in my opinion, to use, you know, your system because it will be, you know, written in a way that gives the information you need. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably one of those tricky things about a design system, which is that you, uh, well, not tricky, but rather just, it's, it's like nothing's harder than making something simple and, or like the shorter the, the talk is that you're trying to put together, the, the more difficult it is because of how valuable it is. It's like with a design system, it seems like the best ones are the ones where the people using them, what they want to do, it, it just can do it. Not in that it can be anything it needs to be, or it can do everything. Cause that's the wrong idea, but that everything they need it to do it can just do there's like that that kind of like just fit and like uh, any developer that's listening to this that has worked in this kind of situation knows this kind of like accelerator effect that you get into when you're just like hey you know that page you wanted me to do it's done and they're like what do you mean it's done and you're like well i had all the pieces i needed to build it i just had to write the data access logic and i'm done and they're like that's amazing and so i uh you know i i do I think that it that promise as well, right? Is that idea that that it is that's where all the work goes is is to figuring out what your users, which I guess is also your your de- developers, need to build, but also what the company, the brand, and the customers need to effectively use the system, um, and packaging that up. I mean, that's taking a lot of dev that people don't realize they're doing every day if they're not working in one of these systems kind of out of that equation. Like that's a great efficiency to, to mm-hmm. realize. Yeah. Um, well, let's maybe let's poke into that a little bit more because you're a design systems in, system engineer and I love this idea. So I think I was just kind of hinting at what I think the job is, which like is you're spending a combination of time with I guess the business people or, or marketing, because for the brand piece, you're synthesizing that with engineers and what, uh, you know, what issues they're having with the components that they're using on their teams. At the same time, you have customers and trying to figure out what, uh, you know, what accessibility, uh, things need to be built in, what, what things that they need, you know, how they look at the system and, and what kind of things, patterns you need to develop. What, what does a day or a week in this job look like? I mean, that is a lot of different kind of groups of people to pull in and, and sort of synthesize and combine all that information for. So is is that an accurate portrayal of kind of what that role is or what, what, it, what does it look like to be a, a design systems engineer? I think it depends on, so the role of a design system engineer really depends on the team you're on, the company you're in. Uh-huh. So, in, in smaller teams, um, as a design system engineer, you, um, you would be wearing many hats and working on um, many projects, of, like many of the streams at work streams at once. So at, at previous roles, 
I would be working on the components with like with my teammates. It would be, you know, we'd be like few devs and a designer and we'd be working very closely together. And we didn't even have a docs person when we just had, you know, a few, you know, few, few devs, a designer and project manager, engineer manager. And I'm thinking of one particular company and it was very small team and we were jumping around doing docs. We were doing components, um, trying to get everything, you know, up and running and making sure there was accessibility in the components and, you know, just trying to get everything stable and working and just making sure that we had something for, you know, the teams to consume. And then there's the other side of the spectrum where you have a more mature system like where I am right now, where we have, I'm starting to count people. And I've lost count because I think we're up to over 20 or something like that. But we have, we have designers, we have engineers, we have content strategists, you know, you know, engineering managers, um, you know, product managers, um, you know, so we have a robust team and we have work streams. So it's not jumping around It's you are working on your project. So for mm -hmm. me, I am not jumping around. I am working on design tokens. So I am making sure that we have, you know, tokens for our system stood up. And um, we have other people working on, you know, some component features and we have teams that are working on, you know, making sure that our docs are, you know, just, they are really nice docs and just keeping them nice and robust. And we have um, another part of the team that's working on our CICD tooling and, you know, making sure that our packages are modern and it's just, but everyone, you know, we work on our project, but we also, you know, like, keep an eye on like what everyone's, you know, working on. And so it's, it's a different way of doing things. And you are also, you know, keeping your eye on making sure things are accessible. And we have, you know, a separate person that does accessibility, but, you know, we also do also have accessibility skills within, you know, each of us that are also, you know, we are also doing it within each of our teams. We also have the person that is, you know, the real, you know, she is the, it's like, if I have a question, it's like, Maria, help me. Cause she knows like all the different other things that when, like, when I'm missing something, like, I'm not fully sure about this one nuance thing, Maria, help me. And we'll ask her and she will just like, she can do, she can ask, answer a question and like, just like that. And she's amazing like that. So it's fantastic to be able to partner with all of these different teammates and to try to solve these problems. So it's just a different way of working. So um, you are, it's, so it's a different pace and you mm -hmm. are still talking with different departments and you're also presenting to different departments and getting, still getting buy-in for your pro, you know, project streams. And then you are, you know, so you're, you know, creating these packages for other teams to ingest. So, you know, these other teams ingest these NPM packages and use them in their workflows. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, I think, you know, for, for some developers here, you may work in specialized teams. So this may not sound 
um, particularly new or novel to you, but uh, for for some, you know, they in the dev for people that are don't identify in the design space, like it's the same idea, right? You're working in a small team or a startup. Yeah, you're going to be a front end dev and a back end dev and a you know DevOps dev and everything in between because that you just got to get the product shipped. You got to get it mm -hmm. out the door. But uh, yeah, it's cool to see that you know as you join a more specialized, again more mature team, and you have that ability to have people that can specialize on those very particular roles. Uh, what what that allows you to be able to do, like how these, as you said, how these design systems can scale. And mm -hmm. all the new things you can now enable teams to do with this design system because of those extra resources. Yes. And what's fantastic about this is because we're we're trying to improve the developer experience mm -hmm. um, of, as part of NM, and it's it's just a really exciting time because we're we're part of the um, developer experience group at NM. So it's it's a really nice, really fun role. That's awesome. I know when people talk about design systems or more of the component library piece of them, there's been some talk about like whether to build them in a framework, the framework that your team uses, whether to you you know make them framework agnostic or use web components or just plain HTML and CSS or, or whatever that would be. Um, again, not trying to put you into the middle of a hot topic if this one's hot, but like mm -hmm. how should teams decide or approach or evaluate what they should be doing as they would be sort of starting to set up their own component libraries? Like, should they include behavior from frameworks? Should they be looking to make it framework agnostic or? Um, I think they should. If they're trying to get traction from a business, from a business perspective, because a lot of times design systems, you know, can be, you know, can be a touchy subject for some, um, from a business perspective, I think the smartest way to get a return on investment in, to have a stakeholder see the value of a design system is to build a design system on the platform that the, the team inside is already using. So if the team is using, you know, Angular, build Angular components, or you know what I mean. Or if the team is using React, I would, I would build them in React, and then eventually, you know, build up. You know what I mean? If you have that's that's my opinion. It's like the fastest way is to build it. I mean, I know some people will say just like leverage, leverage a. Some people will say, well, why don't you leverage Material, or why don't you leverage, you know this component library and da, 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 you know, it's like, this is great, but you know what, then you are, you are reliant on every single update that that library makes. And what if something breaks? Mm. You're reliant on every single bug, right? If you, if you make it, if you roll your own, you know where the bugs are, right? True. And I mean, you could, the only caveat I will say to that is there is one library that I will recommend if you are trying to, if you're not great at accessibility and <laughs> you are <laughs> um, on the path to quickly 
get some accessibility in your components, but you also have a plan to go back and, you know, like in the back, like pay down some tech debt. A good, a good library to leverage, if you already have some components built, is to take your components and leverage the React ARIA hooks from Adobe's mm. React ARIA package. Use those hooks to add in some accessibility support to some of your more complex components, not the ones that can benefit um, from semantic HTML on their own. So like there's certain mm. ones you don't like, because the first rule of ARIA is don't add, you know, unnecessary ARIA where semantic HTML will do the thing, you know, but there are certain components where it's more complex. And if you are coming up against like some, I don't know, like maybe you have some sort of agreement within a company that you've decided that you are in a, like a business partnership where they're like, you need to have, you know, all your, you know, all your stuff compliant before we will do business with you. This is a good, it's a good, you know, practice to say, Hey, we're going to use this library. We'll mm -hmm. do it. And then later on, maybe we'll go in like fix these components and pull out these, you know, these hooks one by one. It's a good strategy. Yeah. They can get you, you know? started. But you know, because you also know that Adobe will be maintaining that library mm -hmm. at the same time you have to know that adobe has maintained like some of the, the features of the react area hooks to work with their spectrum components and there is a little bit of the rub on like certain things where they're mm -hmm. just like some of them are still a little bit like i mean some of it's glorious but some of it you're like oh sometimes they're so hard to work with and i already built my component this way now i have to rebuild my <laughs> component this way to work with your amazing hook you know so trade-off but yeah that's the only one where i'm just like i'd recommend it but also with a uh, proceed with caution but that that's that you know but ideally it's ideally it's build your components accessibly first <laughs> yeah there you go so if, but if you're, you know, at that point where you're like, you have to do this because you didn't do this and now you're in trouble. <laughs> this is yeah. a way you can like, you know, get yourself but, back on the track. That's interesting. And, you know, you, you've been talking about Aria. I think one of the things that was fascinating to me from uh, your talk on uh, design systems uh, is a carnival or design system is a carnival is that the, that the prevalence of Aria tags has exploded in yes. recent years. Yes. And I think to anybody maybe listening to it at first is like, yes, accessibility, yes. finally, people are caring, but this is actually kind of a mixed, a mixed message. Yeah. And I thought, I thought it would be cool if you could explain why that seems like a good thing, but maybe isn't as fully good as one might think. Oh, why people are caring, but they're like, they're caring, but it's just like, well, my oh, impression like the homepage part, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think you had made a reference to like the, 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 is it the web aim or whatever, the million or whatever, and, and how many of them have these, these ARIA tags and it's the web a million report. And what the web a million report does is it, it's scanning the like homepages of the top 1 million, you know, web pages, um, I don't know if it's in the country. I, I'm going to double check my notes because I don't. Yeah, I'm actually not positive now. But yeah. what it was looking at is the increase of the amount of unnecessary 
ARIA attributes that have been added to the page, unnecessary attributes. Oh, there mm -hmm. was also other things that were like missing, like missing this, missing that, you know, all these other things. But I was pointing out the unnecessary ARIA attributes because what was happening was people were like, oh, I need to make this accessible. I care. And so, you know, so, so a lot of people were just adding things because they're like, maybe this is the right the way to do it. I'll just add this thing or I'm trying to help. And it's like, by doing this, you're making it worse because you're making something, even though you have the best intentions, you're making something worse. You're, you know, either, either, you know, not reading the spec correctly. You're not testing this with assistive technology. Maybe you're not testing this with users with disabilities. Um, <laughs> what else is going on here? You know? So it's like, there are ways to do this where you like use code with semantic HTML test with a keyboard, you know, do these, like you could do all these other things before just grabbing for Aria. There are mm -hmm. a lot of things you could do before just blanketing it with other stuff. Also like maybe not also other thing is like, don't use an overlay, but, um, <laughs> 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 but that's not even part of this whole thing, but yeah, that's another thing. That's not even going to solve a problem. That's a separate issue. <sighs> Yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's it, and it's I'm assuming it's not just people with sort of div roll button, but like you said, um, people using these ARIA labels in ways that maybe they aren't intended to be used. And from my experiences, some of the different assistive technologies actually act very differently sometimes in the presence of some of the what yes. would be the newer or maybe less uh, lesser used uh, versions of these. And you can get very unintended consequences. Um, and I think one of the things that's difficult, especially with accessibility training, is just that if you don't truly use these assistive technologies, just, I mean, like, it's great to turn on, um, you know, a screen reader to get a sense of what it is, but like, um, people that if you don't do, as you said, if you don't do testing with users with disabilities, you're going to have a situation where, um, it sounds good to you. Sometimes it's like when develop or when people write, uh, the captions for images and it's like. If you, if you don't have experience of listening to images, then you're going to write them differently than the way that someone that listens to them professionally would. So I guess what I'm, or not professionally, but like in their everyday life. And right. so what I'm saying is that like, sometimes it's, um, it can be really tricky to, to hone this in if you're not using, uh, patterns that people have tested and, and trained on. Right. And I think this is where, um, things like the ARIA APG, the authoring practices guide and, and th tools like that are so amazing mm -hmm. because like, you're like, what do I need to build? I needed this. And they tell you it needs to do this. When pr someone presses this key, it needs to do this. When someone presses this key, it needs to have these ARIA labels on it. It needs to do this. I, if you've never used these before, it is such a godsend <laughs> when you need to build something because, um, these are tried and true patterns mm -hmm. uh, that, that you don't have to guess, I guess, what you're doing. Yes. And if you look at those patterns too, if you like dig into those, like those patterns are great. And also if you dig into those patterns, cause I was digging into those patterns when I was writing my talk. And if you looked into those patterns, you could also see that the, um, there was a yellow disc, like a disclaimer box up there. Like also not all of these have been tested. Right. So if you could click on those, there was, you could click on there to get to, GitHub, where there was also issues where there was, you know, there were people that were um, 
talking about there were different accessibility specialists were saying we need to like fix this issue or we need to have a better example here or you know they were also talking through different you know issues that needed to be explained better or different patterns that need to be explained better or certain things that needed to be updated in that site so it's it's you know you could see that there was you know this guide was better and it's getting better and it's you know so it's a step in the right direction but it's like it's better than nothing and it's a good way to get started but it's like that is a better way than just like throwing things in somewhere willy-nilly and then like oh, i'm just going to try this it sounds good to me it's like test with users with disabilities and if you're going to do that pay them for their time absolutely yeah now um one of the things that developers just engineers in general fall mm -hmm. prey to is this idea of we build things and we've been told throughout our whole careers that we shouldn't build too many things we should look for commonalities between things and group them and make them customizable and switchable and i feel like there's this inevitable process which i love that you walk through in your talk <laughs> where we go from trying to build like uh an alert uh, or some sort of like pop-up and that becomes just the glob unit the universal building block that has 50 props uh, and can be anything you want it to be. And we've sort of like re-implemented HTML in React. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think every developer does this at least once in their career. They get way too clever and they suddenly realize they reinvented some fundamental building block. But this happens at different stages much more benignly and innocently, right? And so um, I was wondering if you could kind of explain this problem to people and kind of why they should resist combining parts of their uh, design system together um, prematurely or maybe even at all. Okay, so when, when this talk idea came up and it, it goes like disclosure widgets can be very fraught and everyone, you know, there's always, you know, different patterns on how to do it and how to do it correctly. When I've, when I've seen drop down patterns in different design systems, you always, tend to, well, I've always tended to see it in different ways, an action menu or this or that. And you see all these patterns and everything thrown in in different ways and different libraries. And, and you see like, why is everything so clever? Why is it like, it's, it's efficient and it's why, but I'm like, and the, you'd see it implemented in applications incorrectly so many different ways. And I'm like, and for all the times you want to just go, could you just, oh, stop. It's like, this is, comes back to the discussion we had earlier about do how, where you want not to be strict about making a component, but where you want to make a guardrail for a component where it's like, how do you help someone use a component correctly without being strict, but also like someone wants to make a component and use it accessibly, but also have the freedom to style something, but also not use it in the incorrect way, right? So how do we provide someone with a component where they're not going to use it and end up as another casualty of the web a million report, right? So we could either build the Franken component and have the tag component, which is awesome. I mean, the tag component is awesome and it is glorious, right? It's amazing. I mean, you theoretically, you could make a tag component and you could use like a prop type or even in TypeScript, you could say, and you could only pass in these two props. It will only accept 
a link or a button, but why would you want to make a link button? That's a whole other one hour that I could debate you and die on the <laughs> But, <laughs> but um, for like, for like drop downs or widgets or all these things, you could abstract, a, you know, this and like get really um, precise on what you would offer for different things for people to use under their hood. Like it's going to use the widget, but only going to let you allow you to use these certain things, you know, so we're not getting too clever, allowing someone to style it the way, you know, with all that freedom, but under the hood, they're not going to be able to break the accessibility. And so that's where the, the blend of freedom versus keeping the guardrails for the accessibility intact. So there has to be a way to not get too clever. I'm still trying to figure out that solution, but it's rather than like, hey, tag Palooza, I'm clever, look at me. <laughs> look at the way I can do things. It's like, great, but is that a good idea? Should we be doing this? Because we're making the web worse in the spirit of good intentions. And I think it just occurred to me listening to you describe that because I think that you did such I think that's such a great way of describing it. Why where I think this discrepancy is is that when you combine things, it's not just design systems for anybody listening. Yeah. It's not just design systems. This happens in any sort of engineering or development yeah. component that you could consider architecting. But you get to a point where when you combine things too far, you what you've done is made it technically easier to maintain the system itself there's less code in the in the abstraction but you've made it harder to use yes and it's like you know that's different than if you you know than saying okay then i'll do no abstraction so i need a primary button component a secondary button component yeah. a tertiary button component it's like no that's okay because that doesn't harm the API of the users using it. it's still simpler. It's actually simpler to have it that maybe that be an attribute potentially. But when you get to this point of having the tag component and things like that, well, suddenly now as a user, I have to remember what are all the props and the right combinations of the props and how do I get it so it uses the link or the button appropriately in the tag and it, it actually becomes harder to use, even though you feel more clever as the maintainer of that abstraction, because maybe now the abstraction in totality only has 500 lines of code, whereas it used to have 5,000 lines of code. And you feel like there's a lot of reuse internally. But there, it's, it's, it's like, there's a way as a, um, a component library maintainer where you could either not get too clever, right? And create something because variants are powerful. So you could be, you know, very powerful with your variants and make sure you're not getting too clever, right? Because I don't want to, you know, split out a variant into a completely separate component, right? But you also don't want to get into Franken component land. So there's mm -hmm. there's that balance yeah. because variants are very powerful in components. I agree with you there. I, I disagree with taking a variant, like a primary button and making it a primary, you know what I mean? Like, but there's oh, sure. like, like wrapper components, like just to get that abstraction out there that, you know, there are ways to do this without, yeah, there has to be a way without bloating a library. So there, you know, there's a balance. Yeah. But it, right. it's up to like library maintainers. It's like, don't do this. <laughs> It's like, how do you make sure that for your library consumers, they can implement something 
without always having to like misimplement something because either you made it so they're always getting it wrong because either you didn't make it right or you made it too clever or you know mm -hmm. it's like where is that line where is the line so this is a really good discussion yeah. If you were to join a group right now that hasn't made any formal move in any of these directions um, towards a design system, meaning that like all of their CS, they may, let's say they may have designs. They're not just, just sort of randomly throwing things out there, but so they have a design and each developer is doing the best that they can. They're trying to abstract their CSS, maybe they're using a BEM or something like that. So it's, it's you know, they're not nothing, but they've never formalized it. Um, but they're hoping to go down that path. Like, do you have a sense of what the first couple steps either you or somebody should do if they're just looking to start leveling up on the, the maturity and the sophistication of kind of their design philosophy and their, their just design system generally? Is there any one place they should start or, uh, or how should they consider that? Can you ask that a little differently? Sure. So. I'm thinking of teams that just are at the lowest rungs of maturity here. So they they don't really they don't have a component library um, as mm -hmm. such. Uh, they might have some components that they reuse. Um, and I've been on teams where like it felt like every developer that picked up a new page just wrote their own CSS. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. like you have 50 copies of the same thing all over the place. Uh, the mm -hmm. designers, there's no consistency from design to design. The the spacing seems to change. The font sizing seems to change and all these types of things. Um, so this team is maybe upset because it's so takes so long to change anything, like certainly to retheme anything because they have to go all over and fix everything. So they say, you know what, we want to start extracting a component library, start building a design system to alleviate these pains, but they have a lot of existing technical debt. Is it possible to save a, a product that's in that situation? And if so, what would be some of the first things that team needs to do? to put themselves kind of on the right path uh, towards, you know, better maintainability and just sort of learning and maturing in having a design system. I think one of the first things you would do is you would look at the CSS, like you would as a team, that would be your design system pilot. I'm going to be channeling, I'm going to be channeling some other experts. I'm going to put them Boop. channel my hat here. <laughs> stay microphone, stay um, hats on right now. So I would, the team would be doing like a pilot. They would take all, take an audit of the system and they would look for like, I'm looking at CSS right now in my head and I would be looking for all the commonalities, all the commonalities of the values and see like what are, what are common and to see if you could have any, you know, find your raw values and create, you know, color system, sizing system, like, you know, spacing system, a font system. So, you know, find, so I would, I would start with tokens <laughs> first, mm. you know, mm -hmm. um, I would look, if you were looking for some components, I would look to see like, what are the common, the common components you would say the most common components or layouts look, you know, and I'm not saying a small, even a small unit, even bigger units. Like what is the most common, commonly used thing for, you know, that would be the first thing that could be part of your system. It doesn't have to be like a very small unit. It could be, you know, the 
the whole full thing. Maybe it's a card. That could be the first thing to start. And then you could build off of it from there. Mm. Because what you want is something that people will use versus just like, oh, we're just going to start by making all the form elements. It's like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. what if everyone's using it? It's like, you should be finding all your commonalities. You want to find everything that everyone's already using and build from there. Because you want the system that everyone on your team's already using. That makes sense. I... I like the idea too of starting with tokens because I I've done this exercise with a team where there are tools that they're not perfect, but they try to analyze your site and figure out how many different font sizes you've used and font styles and spacings mm-hmm. and all these things. And you see the list of it and you're like, Oh, <laughs> I didn't know how differently we were defining all these things. And sometimes you can sit down with a team and really hone it in mm-hmm. to say, these are we can probably do everything with these or these are the Mm -hmm. most important or you know we need to mush these together because you saw this and you thought it was this red but it's actually this red and so these are actually the same value and and that kind of stuff so um i i think i i I think that matches at least the my experience where some teams start with is just to see kind of how crazy the problem space is like how 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 varied are we or did or did we just happen to be where we use a very small set of things and, and maybe we're not as far lost as we as we feared we might be and then there's um is it css stats is that the site yes css stats provides analytics and visualizations for your style sheets mm. have you ever used that before I don't know if I've used that exact tool. It sounds maybe familiar to, as far as another tool I've used, but. You basically put in um, one of your style sheets, put in a URL of your app and it will. Okay. Yeah. I've used a tool just like, if it wasn't this one, something just like it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's telling you all the different, I mean, how many, I, it says to try NASA gov and I tried it and they have, uh, uh, quite a lot of different things to play through here, but, um, but yeah. So a great tool for teams to start to figure out kind of where they are. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the first is first know thyself, <laughs> know what you, what you have at, at hand. Well, great. We are very quickly getting to the end of our hour. These conversations go by very quickly. Now, before we started talking, we said we were we like to do a fun topic at the end. But the problem with having a fun topic with Kathleen is she has so many fun hobbies. Hmm. She is a cyclo a cyclocross. That's tough to, for me to say. Uh, a racer competitor uh, loves to collect sand dollars uh, and crystals, and of course the cats, which have made an appearance on both sides of this during this podcast. So. I thought maybe where I would land is somewhere in the center. Can you tell me the importance for you and for people listening of kind of finding the things that bring you joy? I'm assuming that's where these hobbies came from as a way to like center yourself, to find joy, to find kind of peace, to get, to get some time uh, to kind of process things. Like how important are those things to you and how important should it be to people to kind of, try things out and find those things which bring you that level of joy um they definitely bring me joy and they are my um source of dopamining if you would call it that i like this (laughs) i'm a dopamining fiend so um let's see well cats always been cats 
um, the the lighting became came from COVID, and so I became the light you know lighting and also from like years of being like working in corporate events. So I just love like that's my like tech exit being like a lighting designer would be awesome. And then crystals I started with COVID too, so then it became an obsession. Um, <laughs> And then the crystal collection just started growing. Then my cats interrupt my crystal collection, which you usually see in my talks. And then last summer was sand dollars. And so I found, because I'm 15 minutes from the beach. And why it brings me joy is because I never found a sand dollar before. Hmm. And so I, I happened on one. And that day I found three at once. I'm like, oh, I found three. And then every week I had to go back. So I'd always look at low tide. So then I would I have an app to scan for low tides. So I'm like, it's low tide, baby. And then I would just pick when it was low tide and I would sing and send Instagram of it's low tide. And I go and find, you know, all my sand dollars and send pictures of my sand dollars. And so I'd find the places for the sand dollars. And then now I know when the tides are low, I would always go at low tide at my two beach spots and find when when the sand dollars are out and it's great to be in like the ocean in Massachusetts where like it's 60 degrees and then sometimes almost up to 70 at, you know, almost by October where it's almost swimmable, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really beautiful photos and it's a way to just collect, you know, basically not alive sand dollars, dead sand dollars naturally because alive ones have these like little cilia over them mm. really cool yeah but the dead ones are really pretty and all different colors of you know dark sand yes please don't disrupt functioning live ecosystems if you yes. can avoid it yes uh, but uh no it's great and I, I think too i think it's great the lesson here as well is to share it Yes. Um, you don't have to if you don't want to, but like I think sometimes people feel like their hobbies are too weird or too niche or too small or too quirky, and it's like, I I think that's where such genuine and cool human interactions are, is people saying this is what makes me happy, mm -hmm. and another person either saying that also makes me happy or I had no idea that made somebody happy, and it just makes me happy to know that makes somebody happy. It brings happiness either way. Embrace my categories <laughs> well great well you know what as as mentioned it apparently is going to be cat feeding time here so that means it's the end of today's podcast thank you everybody for listening to this modern web podcast on design systems thank you to our guest kathleen as we say uh the conversation does not stop here you can find kathleen on twitter at resource one one or 11, I'm not sure, yep, but it's R-E-S-O-U-R-C-E-1-1. -E -E um, is it similar on Blue Sky and or Mastodon? And and Instagram, everywhere. I've been resource 11 since 1998. Perfect. You can also go to KathleenMcMahon.dev, and all the links to everything are there as well, as well as yep. all the talks that we were talking about today. So you can catch up on them yourself as well if you want to hear more. Um, as for me, you can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Come on. Come on, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot co slash labs.
Shout it, yeah! yeah. Queries too, so come on, let's go, cause we got a show.